0: white people talk about this in a way that's going to be effective right i mean we're talking about it even as everyone is screaming about not wanting to talk about it um we're all talking about it but are we talking about it in a productive way that's gonna that's gonna make things improve
1: that's rain perry talking about her new album a white album i'm jamie green and this is trading force Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Trading Force. I'm your host, Jamie Green, coming to you from a panicked and very crazy Kansas City where, once again, the weather meteorologists are predicting a snowmageddon, or as I like to call it, a snowgasm, with anywhere from 5 inches to 18 inches of snow predicted tomorrow. Now, color me a bit cynical, but I've heard this from our weather schmoes before, and I will believe it when I see it think it's gonna snow yeah okay i'll grant you that but 18 inches seriously i guess we'll see of course the only thing that makes me think there is a good chance of heavy snowfall tomorrow is that i'm slated to go to danielle nicole band's rehearsal space tomorrow night to interview danielle nicole brandon miller and gogo ray about the band's new music and other plans as part of the celebration of my 100th episode as you might recall all three guests have been on the podcast before, but they've been separate, never together. And I had to Zoom in for each interview. So, of course, we can't have nice things, right? The prediction of snowgasm is there for tomorrow, but I'm from Nebraska, originally peeps. We're hearty stuck with a long history with snow. I'm betting that the interview happens, but we shall see. Today's interview did happen via Zoom. Rain Perry zoomed in from sunny Ojai, California to talk all about her new album, A White Album. This album in which she asked, with clarity, empathy, and a little bit of humor, what does it mean to be white? What can we learn if we face our demons head-on? Can we get past the defensiveness and shame and build a more just and empathetic America? We delved into that topic headlong, and I applaud Rain for being part of the public discourse that is not shouting. But actual thinking and reflecting it may sound like a heavy episode but i'm telling you rain is a ton of fun and we had a great time
0: so let's get started here's my conversation with rain perry
1: so rain i think i may be quitting the podcast business after listening to your podcast i know i'm supposed to talk about the music first but i love your podcast I loved it. Oh, my it.
0: God. Thank you so much. Gosh.
1: So, so I'm all, I've am i only finished two episodes, um, and I, I did a little bit of reading back, and it, it's been a play. It's been all stuff. So, um, I mean, I guess you understand that musicians, if you're somebody who writes your own, you're a storyteller, but you're a hell of a good storyteller.
0: Thank you so much. What a nice thing to say. I appreciate that.
1: So- uh, and it's really well produced. So you said something that you're doing it in tandem. So tell people, well, let's, what's the name of the podcast?
0: Okay, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, on, it's on Apple Podcasts and uh, elsewhere. Uh, it's a radio drama. It was a play. It's called Center Black Bookshelves. And um, it was a one woman show with a guitar player that I did years, years ago, 2008, and I always wanted it to live on. And um, my current project is kind of a sequel to it in a way. So I just decided, you know, I had no really good film of me performing it. And I, I thought I, this could work. This could work in just an audio format. So I got um, a local friend, Ken Arrows, who's a really good musician and a, and a great recordist. And together we built it into a, 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 an audio drama. And that's what it is now.
1: Yeah, it almost has kind of, and I don't mean it as being antiquated, but the way that you weave in the music where like, you're talking about something and then the song will come in that, that like, it's that, how radio used to be.
0: That's what we were going for.
1: Well, good. I'm <laughs> glad I paid attention, right?
0: Yeah, that's what we we're trying to do. We thought we have all these opportunities to weave sound kind of soundscapes in, in a way to make it, you know, to make it like a real thing for this format instead of just a recording of something else. And that's what we're trying to do, because when I did the play, it was just a guitar player in me. But I thought, well, in the radio version, I could have the songs from the record and that changed everything. It made it feel different and it made us and then and then Ken, uh, you know, recorded these wonderful interstitial guitar parts to make the point of like now we're in the 70s and it sounds it wasn't a whole lot of love, but it sounds similar to a whole lot of love. Um, Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. that's fabulous I'll put it in the show link so people can check it out but I, I just uh it's it's always interesting when it, you get people who have a point of view uh and then can execute the point of view and and make it something interesting you know it's uh I, I was walking while listening to it I'm sure my neighbors think like I've, I've got something wrong with me mentally because parts of it I'm like I'm bursting out laughing yeah. parts of it I, I <laughs> it's it, there's some very poignant parts of it too um you know uh losing your mother so young is i mean that's just unbelievable especially with something you know toxic shock is something that uh i think people know more about it now my sister actually had toxic shock was super sick oh, from it but she God. fortunately they figured it out in time
0: i'm so um, glad yeah they had no idea they didn't know what that was then it was new
1: yeah and and and, and it's a unconventional but it's it's kind of a uh like a love letter to your dad, right? An unconventional way to say, I know that you said at the beginning that you don't know how much of that you want your dad may not have wanted all of it out. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, he might be, well, he'd probably be mortified, but also happy to be the star or something, you know? So both, um, yeah, it is a love letter. It's a love letter to the big mess of growing up with him and all, and the things that I, you know, that were painful and the things that now in retrospect like for example I teach songwriting classes and I didn't really realize how rare it was to have a dad who encouraged me to be a musician you know it was just my life my mom was a songwriter and I just felt like that was normal but that is rare that is not that normal and to have the things he didn't know how to teach me how to do he, he gave me that and that that's huge that was huge so you know there's a lot of th- things I'm grateful for with him. And it is a love letter to him, for sure. A love letter to a big mess of a guy.
1: Right. Well, families are messy, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, people <laughs> say,
1: tell you, they have the perfect family and everything. Don't believe it. It's all bullshit. Right? Oh,
0: if they say that, then I'm extra skeptical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know. So uh, I I don't know how else to say this, but you're super brave. I, you know, I, I think we, you know, and I live in Kansas city, Kansas city has a long storied history of being a very segregated city um, with a lot of very awful history with it. And also it's still very segregated today. It's, you know, it's 2022 and, and I could you know, I could show you if you came here and be like, okay, this is Troost Avenue. yeah, yep. uh, It's still that way. Um, it's hard for white people, I, at least for me to know how to approach this. So when you're writing this album and doing what, what was your thought process to start? The album is called, the White Album, which is pretty a, funny.
0: A, a White Album. A White <laughs> Album,
1: I'm sorry. Uh, the, the
0: White Album was taken by some other band. Never, um, <laughs> they
1: never named it that, though. That's just what we call it. No,
0: they didn't. No, absolutely. Uh, but they do own the uh, URL, the White Album. But yeah. I own the URL, a White Album. Um, yeah, I had the exact same feeling as you. That's exactly how I felt and still feel that this is like, how how do we talk about it? That's exactly how I felt and still feel that this is like, how, how do we talk about it? How do white people talk about this? And in a way that's gonna be effective, right? I mean, we're talking about it even as everyone is screaming about not wanting to talk about it. Um, we're all talking about it, but are we talking about it in a productive way that's gonna, that's gonna make things improve? And um, I'm, you know, as a songwriter, you know, you write what you what what's what you're feeling. And at the t- at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was stuck. I didn't know what I. I knew I wanted to write something. I didn't know what it was. I tried a bunch of different things. I think we all felt kind of stuck, you know. And when I finally started writing, this is what this is what I was thinking about, and this is it was, it was it was so at the forefront of our national conversation. So I just thought, well, the best way for me to deal with this is to get really personal and talk about my own self and my own family, because those are the songs that really can affect, are effective to me. Like, you know, um, like a Bruce Springsteen song about a guy who turns to crime because he lost his job because of, you know, is to me, that helps me understand the impact of economic policies during the Reagan era or whatever as much as I love Joe Strummer he would sing about economic policies in the Reagan era um, but I'm more emotionally affected by listening to a Bruce Springsteen song about a guy and so I just I looked at this project through that I, I tried to approach it like that I'm, I can't make any grand statements but I can look honestly at my own self and my own history and start there So that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Well, and I, it, it's, uh, we live in a time right now. Uh, I, I know I'm telling you something you now, but for people who aren't aware where we're trying to legislate out, not us, but there's a certain segment of this population that's in power in certain states. It's trying to legislate out, even talking about this issue as if, if we don't, I don't you yeah. know, like when you were a little kid and you, you closed your eyes and you thought people couldn't see you, right? Somehow, if we don't talk about the race issue in this country and what has happened and what is done. Uh, and it's still ongoing. I mean, I, I assume when you were talking about, you're, you're probably talking about Minneapolis, right? I mean, right in the middle of the pandemic, we had this awful yeah. murder
0: yeah,
1: captured on video. Uh, I, I mean, we could go on forever about how this is and how it affect. I mean, there were huge demonstrations here in Kansas City and, and all over the country. And um, it, it, anyway, it's just interesting. And I think too, and I, I'm curious about your point on this, your thoughts on this too. You know, we make such a big deal about how Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier for Major League Baseball, which is true, but we don't ever really talk about music and how Charlie Christian played uh, you know, as a black uh, guitarist, uh in a big band with all white people back in the 30s. Um, and and it's almost it's interesting with me with music because music, most musicians, I mean, there's the Ted Nugents, unfortunately, in the world, but most musicians want to play with good musicians, period. And they don't care if what color you are, you got a horn on your head, they don't care. Um, so coming from that background, and also coming from California, which is known, which not perfectly true, but it's known as being more liberal and more stuff. Did that inform your kind of your point of view too? like talking about this? I mean, I know that's a really long winded question.
0: <laughs> well, let me see. I'll start with the end. Yeah. Um, and just say don't don't have any illusions that hippies can't be racist. <laughs> and you know, I mean, so I've heard I've heard some of the most heinous things from people who would never consider themselves to be racist. And I and I actually think that gets to really the point, which is, you know, it is really hard to talk about. I understand why people are freaking out and don't want to talk about it. I I understand why they would feel that way because it's scary to talk about, and it's scary. Because the bottom line is, the question is, am I a racist, right? Because it's been framed in like an either or, either you are or you aren't. And nobody wants to, well, some people wanna be one, but most people would wanna say that they're not or wanna believe that they're not. And I just don't think that's a very constructive way of looking at it because we were all raised in a society that gave us certain impressions and, and got certain ideas into our heads about race. And it's in all of us. And it got there before we had a chance to filter through it, and it's in. So, given that, um, the better question is more not whether or not we're racist, but how are we racist? Because we all have, and we've all had some thought pop into our head. We're like, where did that come from? Like, I didn't even know that was in there. And you're just like, oh my God. Um, so, all you can do is be humble in the face of who we are and how we were raised um stuff that you know and this record for me is you know stuff that I that I just just looking back like like for example the first song on the record is called Melody and Jack and it is um it's it's about a story that my so my mom died when I was young as you said and my grandmother told me these stories lots of stories of of my mom and when she was little one of the places that they lived was in Vallejo, which is in Northern California. My grandfather worked at the Naval shipyard up there. And my grandmother would tell me the stories about their little group of friends, my mom's little group of friends. And one of them was black. And he told my grandmother one day that he was in love with my mom and he was going to marry her someday. And, um, I I just, as a kid, never really thought much about that story. I just thought, oh, you know, it was a sweet story. I felt kind of bad because it seemed like forbidden love, you know, and they were just little kids. It wasn't like a big thing. They were probably like nine years old or something like that. But it wasn't until recently that that I thought more about it. And I thought, you know, that kid was right around the same age as Emmett Till. It was about the same time. And him having a crush on a white girl meant something that I didn't used to understand. And now I do understand that he was actually potentially in jeopardy because of that. And so the song is just me looking back and thinking about him and thinking did his mom have to have a talk with him. You know, did, um, you know, what became of him? Did he go to Vietnam? What, you know, What who is, and, I, and Jack isn't even his real name. I just, I don't know who he was. He was just some kid. So anyway, the, so, so for me, I just think the more that I can, the more that any of us can just try to let the defenses down, let our guard down and try to talk with an open heart. Anyway, I'm just saying it's hard to be open hearted in a time when everyone is, is screaming at each other, but I think it's what we have to do. We have to find a way to talk about this stuff with an open heart.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, there's so many ways to go, but I think the one thing, and I I always have found this fascinating um, and also heartbreaking, the thing that uh, the fact that we are unique as Americans and our music is solely because of the contributions, the enormous contribution. and in some point, some forms of music, they pretty much did it all of African Americans. Mm-hmm. You know it's a combination of what happened in new Orleans and what happened, in, you know, in Detroit and what happened with the music that we love and hold dear and everybody thinks what makes America great. And no, it's not, it's because of the African-American culture in our country. Right. Um, so I've never understood then these are, you know, you got, I mean, I'm just going to use an example. I don't really care. Cause I don't really like him, but Eric Clapton, you know, t- just spouting <laughs> racist bullshit on the stage in 19- and it's like your whole career. Is derivative American blues music? That's all you do. How can you be that way, right?
0: Yeah, I, I did not. I that that one's a mystifying. Yeah. So what's, except that it's just in there, you know, it was just in him. It's like surprising when this, you know, I mean, like, like that. This is what came spewing out, you know. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that one.
1: No, because I I, because my feeling about it is, is I feel so honored um, to live in a town that had all this great hit, you know, Charlie Parker and Count Bate and all those people and all these great musicians in this town now that are African-American. I had, uh, you know, I've had so many great people on the podcast. Um, They enrich our lives so much. And I hate but collectively as a culture, a lot of time we hate them for it. I don't understand. I just don't get it. So
0: yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean and 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 that is a really interesting point that I touch on just a little of like one lyric on the last song about what do you do with the fact that that music is is a part of the music that you do? I talk about the bent notes that I sing. Um, and um, you know, it's in it's in the music I write. Uh, it's one of the influences is influences that came from from African music and and um, by way of Uh, rhythm and blues and and rock and roll
1: absolutely
0: yeah yeah it's i mean i'm (laughs) i i i think that um you know the album cover for this record is a critter that is a tick to lick which i just found out recently about which is the transitional creature between land and sea and it's the first one we think now that actually um you know developed four legs and went on land and it's kind of like an ugly fish slash <laughs> I don't know it's like not quite an alligator and it's sort of got these fishy fins that sort of look a little legish. and and I feel like that I feel like I'm a product of my environment I started out in a fishy world um swimming in this water that I didn't even know was water to quote the David Foster Wallace thing that the song is kind of based on and um and I'm trying to evolve out of it I'm trying to evolve into a new reality and I'm I'm a transitional figure I'm not going to get everything right about this I I'm going to get many things I am I'm, I'm going to feel like oh, I'm not doing this well you know again creatures are going to evolve you know the Tiktaalik is the ancestor of the tiger and the gazelle. And, you know, so um, it's, it's a big metaphor there, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's like, all we can do is make progress ourselves and, and adapt and evolve. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, I'll say one thing and then let's specifically talk about the album itself. Um, it's interesting to me too, because the older I get, I feel like I am much more, I don't want to say relaxed, but just, not quite on edge as much and more forgiving and more Mm -hmm. accepting and more. So I'm always amazed when people do the direct opposite. I mean, the older I get, the more I think about how we're so similar as people, how we have most of the same faults and how we have a lot of the same, you know, we all love our family. We all love our kids. If we have kids, we all, all those things. Um, So I'm always can't figure out for the life of me and I know a lot of it's taught when they're little but that you constrict more and more and more and hate more and more and more it just doesn't make any sense to me
0: I, I the only thing I can come to is fear people are more and more afraid that if somebody else gets gets something gets rights gets gets jobs that it means that they're gonna get less and that they are are in a zero sum game that if there's winners and there's losers and if you're not a winner you're a loser i mean that's that's what i that just seems like the explanation because um when you're afraid i mean what, you know you get pretty self protective and that, that's kind of what i think a lot of it is um yeah. i don't know how to yeah no, I was, just,
1: I was just going to say, and then, and then you have uh, people who are very cynic, cynically feeding into that fear just to and get making votes. a lot
0: of money from it. That too. There's a, um, there's a lot of money to be made in a divided America.
1: So to transition, did you watch the Bob Newhart show when you were a, a kid at all? All mm-hmm. right. That was the joke was that Hi, Bob was the drinking game that if somebody said, Hi, Bob, you're supposed to take a drink, right? So, <laughs> okay. Betty Sue is becoming my high, high Bob uh, moment because uh, I, I, I read your information and Betty. So I've had Betty Sue on uh, my first cousin. Uh, Betty Sue's manager is my first cousin.
0: Okay. Uh, Laura Thomas,
1: oh Laura Thomas. So that's oh,
0: well, Laura Thomas, the booking agent. Yeah. She also books math the electrician. And, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, that's my oh, yeah. cousin. Okay. Oh my God. Uh,
1: yeah. Whitmore sisters. I just had them on. Uh, they work with Betty Sue And now you're now. So obviously, Betty Sue's in Austin. So you recorded this album on South Congress. So let's let's walk through. uh, I know the second album in Austin, correct? This is the second one you've done down there? Fifth. Fifth album. Why is a California woman driving halfway across the country into the heat and humidity and doing all these albums in Austin?
0: Because I want to do records with Mark Coleman. And okay. he's, he's been my longtime producer and he has uh, until this week has uh, owned the Congress house studio in Austin. And that's where I've recorded these records. I also made a documentary about him called the shopkeeper um, that used him as an example of how the industry has changed with the streaming era. Um, what he so sold it. What do you do? You just dropped a bomb. It's getting torn down uh, oh. as Austin has developed South South. And he sold it, but the time had come because um, it was all built up around it. And it was either put a bunch of money into it or admit that the time, it was time. And it was always going to kind of be his retirement anyway. And he's 70. So, yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, the, the industry has changed. But that's why I go to Austin. And that's how I know Betty Sue is just we have all these mutual friends and, and mutual kind of cross-pollinating music. And um, I, I asked her if she would sing on this record. And she said yes. So,
1: well, it's so it's probably, did you get a little bit of your childhood vibe the first time you went to Austin? There's certain parts of Austin that have kind of a little bit of a California Oh, yeah. I don't want to say hippy dippy, but kind of hippy dippy. It is Austin, it right? is for
0: sure. Austin is Texas's hippie cousin for sure. Um, yeah, I felt really comfortable. I felt really comfortable and I felt really comfortable with the um, with the approach to music. You know, it's so much about I mean, nobody's really making any money, but but everyone's about real, really good music. And they're really good. And they care about being good. And they care about really honest songwriting, that Texas songwriting tradition is just, man, there's so many great songwriters out of Texas. And I, I just resonated with it. You know, I spent a little bit of time in Nashville, not a, but I just, I, and I met a lot of really nice people, but, but it was just so much more industry oriented is what I was saying. Um, And Austin uh, just feels like very comfortable. The people that I know, there much more like my approach which is to make records that don't necessarily make a bunch of money no no we'll see
1: no i i I totally get that in fact i watched a documentary about nashville and it was really well done and stuff but it was you know nashville songwriters it's a nine to five job they literally go into an office and sit there with their guitars all day and try to write the next hit right so
0: yeah and i have respect for it for sure it's just not me
1: yeah i mean that kind of takes that's kind of i've got a day job that's not that's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun to just have to sit in the office all day and deal with all that stuff. So, um, anyway, um, so when did you record it, yeah. This yeah. A, a white album, when was it recorded?
0: Um, it was recorded. Um, okay. Am I still here? I think yeah, I am. I'm. I'm um, here. it was record. Okay, good. Um, so it was recorded, uh, uh, I started doing the demos in, in mid 2019. We started hashing them out remotely. Mark and I, he plays all the instruments except for a few that other people sit in on. And, um, uh, and then I went there last, last uh, let's see, when was it last spring Um, and did the vocals. And then, you know, throughout the fall, um, we take our time and he just, you know, I come there and I do the main tracks and then he takes his time adding the other instruments over a uh, course of the next few months. And, and then, you know, we finished it at the end of last year, but then it's just a holding pattern to figure out the exact right time to release it and do, to do the whole promotional campaign, which is now gearing up as you Right. Can Cause see. it's
1: coming out in April, correct?
0: <laughs> April. Yeah. Well,
1: oh, very cool. So, Would you like to tour with it? Have you thought about that? Is the world? I I looked at our COVID numbers here, and that's that's thankfully going down again. There, do you know?
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that it's going down, but I, uh, you know, this this is gonna be a play like like Cinderblock Bookshelves was, and I don't know what that looks like yet. Um, I'm writing it. And I don't know what's what state it's going to be in by the time the record comes out, but it's going to be a, a theatrical performance. Um, so that's what I'm working up towards. Um, not so just how, a regular concert.
1: So how Go is ahead. writing different as a playwright as than writing a song as a musician?
0: Um it's more free form because it can do whatever it wants to do in a in a certain way. Um uh it's, it requires a, it requires a, thinking visually in a way that I don't with songs, you know, um, Uh, I have to think about what's going to be interesting on stage. And, and, you know, cinderblock bookshelves was me on a stage telling stories with a guitar player. We tried it with multimedia stuff with slides and everything. And that worked out okay. Um, Some people thought that they'd rather have images in their mind and not necessarily see photographs from my childhood and stuff. So we're, So I'm not sure, you know, I have a lot of ideas brewing for how to present this material theatrically. I'm kind of seeing it as a cross between Stop Making Sense and um, a one woman show, you know, but I don't know what what performing is going to be like in April. So everything's everything's so fluid. I really I don't know. I'm just right now I'm just working on writing and trying to figure out what I want to say in addition to the songs and between the songs.
1: Yeah. No, I so much stuff in the air. Did you see the Beastie Boys when they did the two surviving members of the Beastie Boys when they did their show? Uh, and it was a lot of it was them talking, but they also did some interactive stuff too. Have you seen that? No,
0: but I would no, but I would love to. That sounds great.
1: I, I thought they did a really nice job. It was a really. I'll check.
0: I'll I'll, I'll I'll watch that.
1: You know, it's you know they're the Beastie Boys, so it's going to be irreverent and funny, uh, but obviously with the loss of their bandmate who died of cancer way yeah, way, way too right. young um, there's some real heartfelt moments as as well so um well this great. has been been great so uh, i see you on twitter we're following each other on twitter uh we haven't even talked about your politics stuff like you're doing you did stuff for beto in 2018 like do you ever sleep right yeah. when, when do you get rest <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a little. It's. A, I try to balance everything. You know, I'm trying. I am working for the Beto campaign now as a volunteer. I'm an out-of-state ambassador. I, I. I mean, I just admire the guy. I really think that he's uh, approaching his campaign in a way that I support and think is really ethical. I. Um, I appreciate that he that he really listens to people, um, and um, I don't know. I think he's. I think he's great, and I think he would be great for Texas. So I'm working. I'm working for that. Um, yeah, as far as last last fall went, or the fall of 2020, I went and worked in um, as a as a um, poll watcher in Arizona, and I was able to observe that election from inside the polls, which was great because honestly, it was it ran like a top. I was so impressed with the bipartisan election workers, and so mortified when they were accused of propriety because they did a great job and i had access to the to the app that showed everything that was going on behind the scenes and there were no problems and it was totally bipartisan so yeah i just i knew that if i wasn't working all the time i would go crazy so i just decided to be a cog in the wheel someplace and go volunteer um that helped me get through that election
1: right where were you in arizona what what part
0: i was in phoenix
1: okay i used to live in the old town scottsdale area in the oh, 90, okay in, yeah in, in the 90s so
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is yeah like my
0: in-laws live there
1: coming up on 30 years which is insane right how it just time just flies by well you know I, it's kind of an yeah. interesting thing to talk about too because um well i mean i i laughed hysterically when people were upset that willie nelson was endorsing bed and i was like willie nelson's whole life has been about <laughs> Have you not paid <laughs> attention? I mean, he was the redheaded stranger in the seventies. What are you doing? Like, you know. Um, so I found that amusing. Like but- people
0: who are, yeah, like people who are surprised. Like, why does Bruce Springsteen have to get political? Like, I guess you haven't been listening to him all this time.
1: Yeah, not like mm-hmm. a lyric. All. And, and the same, and, I, and right now we're dealing with Neil Young and and Spotify and and Joe Rogan and and all of that, which I just, uh, I mean, I, four dead in Ohio. I- Right. I mean, he wrote that lyric 50 years ago. So, why is anybody surprised? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, it's just a thing. So, yeah. I, it's just interesting, too. And I, I mean, if, if nothing else, call up Spotify for not paying musicians worth anything.
0: <laughs> That's what I've been saying for a while.
1: Well, I just, yeah. I, the guy that's the CEO is in, what is he like 30? I don't know how he's really young. He's worth over 2 billion. He's worth more money than Paul McCartney. Now can anybody honestly tell me or argue to me that he should have more money than Paul McCartney who has created this enormous catalog for what 65, 70 years almost. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like I don't mind people profiting off of music, but why don't we actually the actual creators make it, but right.
0: Yes, absolutely. Daniel Eck, he's like a Bond villain with the rest of those Bond villains for sure. Well, because
1: like in movies, it's like George Lucas is loaded. You know, Uh, all those like people who write things in movies too. Like this is music. for. I mean, music has this long ignoble history of screwing musicians out of money. Like it's like this, you name it. It's been payola, all of it. It's a really, it's almost like pro wrestling in a way. It's an ugly business. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, Gillian Welch nailed it in 2001, when she said, uh, someone hit the big score, they figured it out that we're going to do it anyway, even if it doesn't pay. And that's just it. We'll work for free. And as long as we will work for free, people will definitely pay us nothing. And um you know other other industries have been able to organize and for whatever reason probably just because musicians are the way we are which is wonderful but we 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 um seem to always be willing to to not to say that there are people who were exploited who would have who would have fought not to be exploited but i just think people take free gigs a lot because they think they have to and they think they have to be on Spotify. They've th- we've thought we've believed we've, as a culture come to believe you got to be there or you won't get noticed. And um, that's been true. It's been wh- where the listeners are. So it's, that's, that's a tough one. That's tough because for musicians, it's like, okay, if we're going to pull our stuff off Spotify to make a point, are you going to also not listen to Spotify and expect us to be there when you decide you like Spotify again? You know, that's that's money every time you release to Spotify. And if you take, you can't pause, you can't pause your music. You have to take it down and then you have to pay to put it back. So, um, cause I did that. I did oh that God. when I made the documentary. <laughs> yeah, I made the documentary. I'm like, forget it. I'm done with Spotify. I'm not doing this anymore. I took my stuff down. And then after a couple of years, I was like, okay, I just, I have to suck it up. And I have to recognize that's where the listeners are. They voted with their a dollars their attention and so i put it back and now it's this call to take it down and i i i totally understand why people feel intensely about it and i the more i see and the more i hear of what's being said there i i i, I agree um and yet i also know that if they dump joe rogan um and then everyone likes them again all these musicians are gonna have to fork over like 500 to put their music back up so so it's um, it's there's, tough.
1: A, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, my father was a jazz musician and my sister makes fun of this because I use this term too, but it, it seems perfectly natural to me. No pay, no play. My dad always would say that no pay, no play. I'm not doing it. If I don't get, And I'm the same way. Like if you're not going to pay me, I'm <laughs> screw it. I'm not going to, you know, we're Good. Not, and I'm not getting, you know, I play acoustic duo shows. I have a, a head of nineties uh, cover band. That's, you know. But if you're not going to screw that, you know, like if somebody like, oh, you know, publicity, and I'm like, nuts to you. I'm not doing it, but okay. it's hard when you're younger too. And it's also much harder. It's your livelihood for most of the, you know, I have a day job and other things. So to me, it's just, it's a side thing. So that's part of it. I think it's really interesting. Um, I did not know that you had to pay to put your own music up on Spotify so they can make money off of it. So walk us oh, through yeah. that. Walk us through that. That's nuts.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, you pay to, you pay your distributor to release music. So I, I pay, I put my music upon the one I use is TuneCore. So I have to pay, you know, whatever, um, 50 bucks a year to have my stuff on distributed. All right. So that goes out to all of the, plus I have to, um, create a UPC code and I have to have, you know, just all the things that go besides the recording. Um, so then. It goes out, it goes out to Spotify and everywhere. And then if you take your stuff down, they take it down. But if you want to put it back, you then have to re-release with new album art, okay? A new UPC code and a new release. So then you have to re, you may, like for me, I left it up on every other place, Mm -hmm. but just took it down from Spotify. Didn't matter. I had to have a new, a new release to put it back on Spotify. So I have six records times 50 bucks plus the um, graphic design because they each had to say remastered, re-release and it ended up being like four or $500. So that's, that's the thing uh, with this moment. Like we just have to know that the audience has our back and I've, and I've talked to, to a few people who, who are like, well, I haven't actually canceled my subscription. I'm like hey wait a minute we got to all be in this together if we're really doing this right we get a, we got to really do it otherwise the artists are just like getting screwed in a different way
1: <laughs> no so. totally and uh i've never had a subscription to spotify I just never yeah, paid i'm not paying for it. but uh you know uh, this podcast at the moment although i'm seriously thinking you know it's on everything it's on apple Podcasts. it's on amazon right.
0: they're
1: like you know all the evil empires reign <laughs> right? All the evil.
0: They all are. They're all right? evil.
1: <laughs> but I don't pay a dollar to put them up on anything. So when you're telling me that you have to pay as a musician and I, as a schmo with the podcast, Kansas City, just sits it up there for free. That's bullshit. It just is. I mean, it, it's terrible.
0: Well, you probably pay, you pay uh, like some kind of a syndicator probably. So there's a small expense with that.
1: I actually am posted by somebody for free.
0: Oh, perfect. So, but so. somebody's paying like 15 bucks a month.
1: Somebody First is, day. but it's not me yeah. anymore. But I just, I just, yeah. I'm just saying that's, I mean, it's bad enough that we're paying, well, we're not paying, but somebody's paying Joe Rogan a hundred million, dollars right. to just yeah. do stupid yeah. bullshit. That's not creative or I don't find it. You know, Howard Stern did that shtick 30 years ago. It's not interesting or, uh, but then just even like me for free, but anyway. I could get really angry right now. I'm going to try not to. though. Oh,
0: I could too. And I just, uh, you know, and Spotify is owned by Google, which also owns YouTube where Joe Rogan is also. And it's, you know, and Neil went to, to Amazon, you know, that's where he went from Spotify. So, so it's just, it's, there are no, there are no easy solutions to this. And the best one I can come up with is just make it make no audience or spotify if if make there be no audience and that is what they care about so it's really on the listeners if they really want this they need to take their ears away because that because spotify has totally proven to musicians they don't care what we think but Mm. they do care about they do care about the audience and the market share and you know or listen listen anywhere you want but buy something from the artist you know
1: yeah i tell people that all the time go buy it directly um
0: yeah. So I just or buy a t-shirt or whatever.
1: That's right. Totally. Cause you get all the money. You don't have to, I mean, after right. cost, obviously uh, yeah. you know, the well, last thing, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up talking uh, cause I want people to follow you and get to know you more too. But right. you know, it, it's interesting. My dad had a union card um, and there used to be union, you know, the, the musicians union used to be really strong. It used to be, yeah. but it yeah. was like, and this is just my take. If somebody, if I get this wrong, Send me an email and tell me I fucked up. But my, uh, what I think happened was, you know, jazz musicians were kind of snotty and snooty about rock and roll people. I'm like, they're not an Italian. My dad was that way. Like, he's like, rock and roll. Sure. Those guys, three (laughs) chords, right? So they looked down on them and didn't really want them to be in the the union. And rock and roll people are like, screw authority. I don't want to be a part of the union. But what's happened now, 50, 60 years later is, musicians have no collective bargaining and they don't have any power um Mm -mm. in a lot of ways it was really bad to get rid of that that if the rock and roll and jazz people had gotten together and had worked on it together we'd probably be in a lot better place right now
0: that is a really great point that's a great point and that's just it musicians are all out for themselves and like if one person says they're not going to pay I mean, I've seen this happen. If somebody says, I'm not doing that gig because it, they, they're not paying, somebody else is like, I'll do that gig. And, well, uh, totally. you know.
1: <laughs> we yeah. had, uh, last yeah. thing, last summer, I was supposed to play at the Harley Davidson. I won't say which one. Uh, and they came back and said, oh, our budget got way cut back, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, okay, whatever. We had an agreed upon price, not paying for it. And sure enough, on Facebook, it showed up some band and they weren't any good. So you kind of get what you pay uh, for sometimes too, but they played the gig. Yeah. They took they took the gig. They, they were fine, not getting hardly paid. Sure. It's sad.
0: Yes. Because they figured it was exposure. And, uh, you know, as my friend Andy would say, you can die from exposure, but, um, but also, you know, it's ex- exposure for a chance to play more free gigs.
1: Right? I mean,
0: you know, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I just, I won't, I'd rather hang out with my husband and watch a movie. I, I, if I do a show, I, I, I make it, a, I don't work in a normal way. I create like events and I do a theatrical thing or I do a concert. Um, partly because I've been a busy mom and I, that's how it worked for my life, but also just because I got other things I like to do and I want the people who come see me to really want to be there and to listen. And if that means fewer gigs, it means fewer gigs, but so far it's worked for me. or broken it's the family tree bent or broken it's the family tree each branch a part of a part of me this is my tree and it's a beautiful tree
1: Rain Perry everybody uh, really interesting about Spotify. And, you know, it's. It, I feel in some ways you just have to pick your poison and, and you you try to do your best, but I've said this before, I'll say it again. It just seems like as long as there's been musicians in the world trying to make a living, there's always somebody trying to screw them out of that living. Uh, and that's certainly the case. The fact that the guy that owns Spotify or is the CEO of Spotify has twice, over twice the money of Paul McCartney is absolutely insane. That's so stupid. Anyway. Uh, I'm sitting here today after editing this, and it 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 snowed a shit ton. I should not have called the meteorologist schmoes. Apparently, I was wrong. So, I am not uh, going tonight to Danielle Nicole Band and uh, interview. That'll be I'm gonna do that in a week, but that still will be on time for the 100th episode. So, in the meantime, next week I've got a Nashville tour stop. Rick Gordon, who lives here, but he does super cool stuff, uh, mostly in Nashville. But he, yeah, you know, he lived in Greenwich Village in the '70s. He's done all kinds of cool stuff. He came over to the house. We chatted for over an hour. Super interesting. So that is one week until today. Until then, go out when you can get out. Support live music, and we'll talk real soon. Bye bye. <laughs>